half of the Sober Experiment. And with us today, we've got Mandy Manners from Love Sober. Hello. We've got Simon Chapel from Be Sober, and he's also the author of the Sober Survival Guide. We have Sober Dave, who does not need any more introduction. He's an Instagram legend, and he does a lot of work for charity. Hello. And we've got William Porter, who is the author of Alcohol Explained and Alcohol Explained Too. I hope I've not missed anything else. Okay, um, so really quickly about my journey. Um, I have been sober for a year, just a year now. Um, on and off, been trying to be sober for two years. Finally went sober. I won't go into my backstory, before, but finally went sober after my very best friend, Lisa, the other half of the sober experiment, went sober and basically railroaded me into doing so. Otherwise, I couldn't be part of the sober experiment. <laughs> go, Lisa, introduce. Oh, are you done? <laughs> it's your turn. You can introduce yourself. That was really quick. So I'm Lisa, the other half of, um, of the Sober Experiment. I am a mum of three teenagers, crazy ones at that. Um, so yeah, going sober to me was very important that I could be there more for my children while they were going through wild times. Um, yeah, I was more of a binge drinker than an everyday drinker. And I just kind of, I personally used to use drinking a form of my way to relax, to chill out, as escapism, so I thought. Um, and I've been sober just uh, for two years in July now. Um, I've been saying 18 months, <laughs> but it'll be two years in July, which I'm excited about. So, yes. Um, are we going to do just introductions now for everybody, Ali? Yeah. That's your demand. Hello. Um, so my soap journey, well, I will be three years in um, August, um, but I started my sober journey in 2007. So that's uh, a long time ago. That was the first time that I was sober curious and I was like, you know what, I kind of want to change. So I did six months and then got pregnant, had a baby uh, and then we moved to France and I thought, oh, I'll be a sophisticated French wine drinker, um, which worked for a while, a while. And then the stress of kind of motherhood uh, me to more problematic drinking. Uh, and so I gave up again in 2013. Um, I did just over a year. And um, I, at that time, I was very kind of mentally ill with depression and anxiety. Um, and so funnily enough, my depression and anxiety got a lot better. Um, and so I thought, okay, cool. I can drink moderately every now and again. Um, and so after a year of sobriety, I started drinking again and sort of did that for two and a half years going yeah no mm, oh whoops um blackout don't remember that oh god okay no oh no i'm fine now no it's fine um i'm i want lady i will make this work um up until a point where i was just so tired of being tired and tired of yeah, sort of letting myself down, really. So then I quit um, for good in 2017. Yeah, so 10 years on. <laughs> so that's me. Simon? Yeah, hi, I'm Simon Chapel, And uh, I was, I started drinking in my, well, I was going to say my late teens, but it was my mid-teens, if I'm honest. And I've, I, I was drinking, starting out 
to deal with anxiety, I guess, loneliness and all those uncomfortable things that go on when you're a teenager. And it just evolved into daily drinking. And when I moved out of home in my mid-20s, I went from drinking sort of now and then to bottle of wine a day. Bottle of wine became one to three bottles of wine a day with beer sometimes. And I did that every day for over 20 years. There's a handful of occasions where I didn't drink, where I physically couldn't have it. Like if I was laid up in bed with the flu or if I had an operation and I was in hospital and I literally couldn't get my hands on the booze. But I drank every day and I started to put it in front of everything important in my life. I put it in front of my son. I put it in front of my wife, my health, my career. And it it had power. It had complete power over me. And in terms of my sober journey, for about five years before I quit, I found that I was in a really uncomfortable place. I knew I had a problem. I was Googling stuff like, am I an alcoholic? I was looking online at the recommended daily, uh, weekly drinking allowances and having a meltdown when I saw what they were compared to what I was drinking. So I thought I'd look at the um, the drinking allowances for the rest of Europe and I realised Spain had a much more... Um, a, a much larger allowance than we did. So I thought, well, I've been to Spain. I've, I like paella, so I'll use that one. But it still wasn't enough. I was still drinking way too much. So I, um, I moved, I, I just spent five years in this place of complete you know, cognitive dissonance, which Annie Grace talks about in This Naked Mind, where half of me wanted to quit, half of me didn't want to quit, half of me wanted to carry on drinking to blot out the uncomfortable feelings. And long story short, eventually I picked up her book and read my way through it. It's the only book I've ever read twice in a row. Um, and William, I then read William's book, Alcohol Explained, which is absolutely awesome. And I found off the back of that, that my mindset started to change. I started to move from a place where I felt like I couldn't have a drink and I was being deprived to feeling like I didn't want to drink. Alcohol slowly started to become insignificant. And just like Mandy, I had awful anxiety. It was eight or nine out of 10 at one point. And since I quit, it's faded down to almost nothing. My relationship with my son's improved. My relationship with my wife's improved. Everything's improved. I'm happy. I haven't got darkness under my eyes. Um, I, I can't tell you. It's just been an amazing journey. And you know, I'm lucky enough to now be an alcohol coach for This Naked Mind. I talked on stage live at This Naked Mind in Denver in front of like four or 500 people. And this is the guy who had such bad anxiety. I couldn't stand up and talk in front of 15 people in the past. I've reconnected with my dad. We had a stupid fallout six years ago while I was drinking and my state of mind wasn't very good. He's in this room. I'm not going to point at him. There he is. He's waving. That's my dad. Hi, we, did, dad. we didn't talk for like six years and now we're like back to normal. Things are just <laughs> awesome again. And that was a victim of my drinking. And he's right here now supporting me. And now I'm getting emotional. Like I always do. I start crying. I cry a lot these days. But, he does. I witness it. He does. Yeah, you've yeah. seen it firsthand. We've all seen it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and then yeah, I've I've written a book. I talked at the club soda event. It's just been an amazing journey, and and I've seen it happen to so many people. And I love kind of giving back and sharing my story and helping people with coaching and stuff. And yeah, and I run a Facebook 
group which has got over 10,000 members in there and it's just it's just a wonderful journey and I, I just love it every day sobriety is contagious and I just it's just such a wonderful lifestyle anyway I've waffled on too long over to Dave <laughs> oh cheers mate for that I know <laughs> <laughs> on either side it's like Jesus bloody <laughs> hell um well, I'd like, I started drinking when I was about 13 because I was a bit of a lad when I was younger. And uh, a typical teenager growing into his 20s, it was always social drinking. And then I started going to a local pub that I'd become, uh, my nickname was Glugs because I would, I would drink five or six pints in an hour and then go home and then drink more. And then when I moved, I was too far from the pub. So this is where it changed for me. I started to drink indoors, and that was where there was a real shift. And um, I was drinking probably six Stellas, and then I would get stuck into a litre of vodka, and there were some nights I would finish the litre of vodka as well. Um, and then... Um, I on a weekend I would literally never go out I was really unsociable I mean the neighbours used to invite me in for barbecues and that and I always used to make excuses I was going out because I wouldn't be able to drink what I wanted to drink at the barbecue so I'd become really isolated and then um, I worked on a TV show called 60 Minute Makeover and we did my wife now's house then and it was quite a whirlwind and I moved in within a year and then my trouble was going on there. My trouble was there was that I I hadn't really told her how much I was drinking, so I started to hide it. And then it wasn't long before she realised that I was in trouble with it. And and she would never ever tell me to stop, but I could just I had to work out that. If I didn't, I was going to lose my marriage, everything. And, um, I mean, there were times she took the kids to the park and within that hour of being in the park, I nearly drank a box of wine. You know, I was literally going like that just to get enough down my neck. And then I started hiding alcohol. And then last January, um, I just randomly thought, right, that's it. I'm, I'm going to give it up. And I, I was going to do it for three months. Then after a week, I realized that I would be exactly back to where I was in the three months. So I started my Instagram page. And um, from there, I think I met you, William, pretty much right at the beginning. And uh, 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 do and I just thought, you know what? I'm gonna just give up full stop now, and that's 15 months next week, I think. Hey, yeah. <laughs> See, Simon, you never got a clap. No, I did <laughs> No, and and do you know what you said about all your, all your things? Um, I mean, I was talking at uh, Meg's menopause conference in. Yeah, and that's, you know, I got asked by Meg to do that. And like you, Simon, and William, I met you when you did a talk. It's so healthy for us to share our journey and, and honest and authentically, you know, just to let people know that they're not alone. And I think that's what I do on my Instagram page. I just say the rough, the smooth, and, and just each day tell people how I'm feeling. And I re that is my recovery in a way because I really, really enjoy that. Um, and I, I'm planning to get stronger and stronger and do other things. I'll, I'll be qualified to be a peer mentor once this thing's over. 
so I can help him recovery calves and, and different places. And uh, I've just finished a mental health first aid course. So, yeah, I'm really, really loving sobriety and my gang here. I love yeah. you all. Yeah. Hi, so um, I'm Sam Watts. I wrote my book under the pen name William Porter, though. Um, So I started drinking, I think, when I was about 14, um, and I started drinking and smoking. Um, And I think about four or five years after that, I read Alan Carr's book on stopping smoking, um, which I found really interesting. Um, and it kind of got me thinking quite analytically about drugs and all the rest of it. Um, and I read most of what he wrote. I became really interested in what he'd done. Um, but for me, I found his book on alcohol, it didn't quite hit the mark in a few places. Um, what he was saying wasn't what I personally found from drinking. So when he said that, I think one of his things was that alcohol doesn't have a withdrawal. Um, and that for me just didn't feel right. Um And so I suppose over the years, I ended up stopping drinking in 2014, so just over six years ago. Um, And I suppose what I've done over the years is just sort of analyse and think about how it all fitted together. And the result of that was alcohol explained. Um, So that was it, really. I was never a regular drinker. I was always a binge drinker. So I would drink quite heavily at weekends. Um, but it almost got to that weird mindset because I, because I wasn't drinking during the week. I felt like I could drink as much as I wanted at the weekend. So I'd wake up on a Saturday feeling dreadful. Um, and then I would just have a few drinks in the morning to get going again. And it didn't, to me, it didn't seem a problem because I'd go most of the week without drinking. But of course the problem is the weekend then gets longer and longer and longer and it goes into, you know, Monday and Tuesday. Um, and then it starts to get quite awful because if you ring in sick on a Monday, you're sat at home feeling absolutely dreadful. I'm married with two young children at the moment. So my wife would go to work and the children would go to nursery and then you're just stuck at home on your own feeling absolutely miserable and anxious and depressed. And it's even harder then not to drink. So (laughs) you just end up drinking more and more and more. Um, And it came to a head, as I say, I won't go into too much detail, but um, the two things that I found that really escalated my drinking is in um, 2005, because I was previously in the parachute regiment I served out in Iraq, so my military service, I think, accelerated things a bit. And then I think getting married and having young children accelerated it as well. You're tired a lot. You're kind of stressed a lot. And it just makes you drink more and more. So I think those two things, and I say in 2014, it all came to a head. And that's when I quit. Um, and then I wrote Alcohol Explained, I think, in 2015. So it was just over a year later. Um, But looking back on it now, I think that actually assisted with me personally stopping because I kind of had it straight in my mind how it all fitted together. But it wasn't until I actually went to write the book that I realised there were a few gaps. Um, So for me, that actually that was a part of writing the book was for me was part of my recovery, to be honest, because that really greatly assisted me. Um, And as I say, here I am now just over six years down the line. Wow. Hi, mate. I'm going to give Simon a clap now as well. Yeah, thank you. Hey. <laughs> hey. Oh, oh, me. I was just fishing out my copy of Alcohol Explained. Yeah. I was going to get you to sign it if I just yeah. pass it over. I mine upstairs as well. It's one of the first I read. Oh, I've got a few of my favourite authors on here. I'm okay. I've got, I can see Julia there. Who wrote- Hi, Julia. Yeah, Hi, I've got Julia. Julia as well. He's our mutual friend, so uh, it's lovely to have a few people that I know. 
do one and a half, two hours of school a day and they do some painting and they watch some TV and you give them a cuddle because essentially all they need at the moment is to feel secure. That's the most important thing. Um, the thing that's been coming out for a lot of people is space. So either if you're on your own, like lonely is very, very challenging right now. So like getting on things like this, you know, communities, there's loads and loads online meetings. Um, and if you are a mum or a dad, it's trying to find space for yourself. So if you've got a garage, claim the garage as your own and go in there for a bit every day. Like if you've got um, a bedroom, transform a space in your bedroom, like a corner that's your own. So you can just take a moment every day to be like, this is my space. Because what people tend to do is when we reach for alcohol, it's, you know, it's shutting out or shutting off. Um, you know, when the world is spinning and you just want it to stop. So grounding um, and taking space for yourself and just letting go of what you should be doing and just do what feels right for you and your family and and just try and have a nice time. I mean, you know, I'm actually having quite, if I don't know what's going on outside, I'm actually having quite a nice time, you know, because we're watching loads of films, we're doing loads of painting, doing lots of dancing. Um, I've found, again, in, we're all kind of traumatized at the moment. And again, that's a lot in your body. Uh, and one of the things to do is to literally shake it out. So I'll invite you just to shake your hands wherever you are, if you want to. Can we have a full dance, Mandy? <laughs> you can if you want. But if you shake your hands and just feel that actually you'll probably, I hope, feel a little bit better. Because what you're doing is you're literally shaking out the tension and shaking out the anxiety. And if you're, you know, if you like to dance, dance with your kids, shake it out, shake your booty, put some music on and all that's doing is literally, you know, it's, if you look at a dog, if a dog is scared, it will shake. And what the dog is doing is it's shaking out and sort of uh, regulating its nervous system. And we as adults, we don't do that. We freeze and we hold it all inside. Yeah. And that's where, and then we walk around tents and then we walk around tents and we get to the end of the day and we go, um, so yeah, so anything that you can do to release tension from your body, be it shaking, be it dancing and breathing, um, that's probably my top, top tips. And just, yeah, be, you know, just try and have a nice time. Yeah, I think that's like to breathe sometimes, don't we? I know I do. Like you said, you realise you've been walking around tense all day. Yeah. And not being mindful of your breathing and it does help a lot I do a meditation in the morning only for like 10 minutes but throughout the day that stays with me then and it reminds me to kind of be present and to just breathe but I like that shaking we'll all be doing that at the end of this in our cupboards yeah. <laughs> and all these things it's like it's all stuff you can do with your kids and and part of that is that you know like Simon was saying, the positive aspects of sobriety is like, you know, when you're starting to go, right, shit, I've learned tools to make myself feel better and I can pass that on to my kids so they can be more emotionally regulated and in control of their emotions. That makes you feel really good. And that's like another motivator not to drink because it's like, 
okay, you know, and now, you know, how do you feel? Let's talk about it, you know, rather than shutting them down because you can talk about your own feelings, you know, and that's the sort of things. Those are the gifts of sobriety, really, because it's like, I feel really anxious right now. Do you feel anxious, Bob? Yeah. Yeah, you I actually feel okay, really anxious what can we do at the moment. To feel less anxious. All right, should we do a bit of a dance? Yeah, let's do a bit of a dance and shake. No, I'll tell you, I you feel really anxious because of the coronavirus and having seeing all these loved ones in hospital and um, watching the news from Italy and everything else. And um, I find it very difficult to ignore all of that. And um, I worry about my loved ones. My husband is high risk. So I just find it very difficult to be mindful at the moment. I just feel, and I've turned off social media. I watch the news once a day, but I just find it very, very hard not to think of those that are out there losing loved ones and who are really, really ill. Now, I've done... I suppose, four months sober, but I had a blip for three days and I'm now back on day seven. But I just find it so tearful to watch the news and so heart-rending. Yeah, and my suggestion would be is, you know, if you have someone that can feed you the information that you need to know, because I, I literally cannot watch the news. I find it far too traumatic. Like, and so my husband tells me what I need to do. And other than that, I, I have no idea. I mean, I live in France. I have no idea how many deaths there are. And it's not because I don't care. It's because I care too much. And I'm a highly sensitive person. And a lot of people that drink are highly sensitive people. And by protecting yourself, you're looking after your family and you're looking after your loved ones. So, you know, if, if you can shut down as much noise and, and news is so sensationalist especially in the UK you know there are ways to read a newspaper it's less impactful you know you can see it written down you can take your time to read it rather than it being like with the moving images and the music and all the drama that they add to it so yeah that would be my advice is just to really you know on a need to know basis and that's it and then write and journal and, you know, and let it flow out of you through writing how you feel, you know, because it's okay to feel things, write about it, um, journal, um, you know, write poems, whatever feels good to you to let those emotions out because it's valid. Um, yeah, I don't know. if I Thank know. you. Um, can I just ask people at the moment how you deal with cravings at the moment? We're, that, we're going to come to that because question, I just find. Yeah, we're, we're going. Okay, to, I'm sorry. Is it Margaret? It's okay. Yeah, we're going to come to that question in a minute. We've got we've got something on that because we knew that would, would be what people would ask. Um, before we go on to cravings, can I just direct the, keep the conversation on anxiety for a second? Because, William, I think that we'll just go to you, if you don't mind, just to talk a little bit about alcohol and anxiety and, you know, a, a few facts there, if you don't mind. Oh, Is William there? <laughs> no, he's just put somebody that looks like... He's, he's got a cardboard cutout. Samuel. Hello, sorry about that. I dropped off. Ah, it's so well. You are multiplied. There's two of you now. <laughs> okay. Um, we, we've just had a bit of a conversation, William, about um, anxiety and how at the moment there's at high levels of anxiety. And we're just wondering if you can actually 
add to that in terms of some facts about alcohol and anxiety? Yeah, well, um, so there is a lot of anxiety at the moment and obviously drinking alcohol is absolutely the worst thing you can do about it. Um, so if you're feeling anxious and you drink alcohol, it being a depressant it is going to take the edge off your anxiety. But the problem is your brain then seeks to counteract for the depressive effects of the alcohol by pushing up the stimulant. So your brain's got its own store of stim- um, chemicals and drugs and different hormones and it tries to maintain a balance, a chemical balance. <laughs> Um, so when you're feeling anxious, if you then try and drink alcohol to depress that anxiety, your body's pushing the anxiety up to try and get through the depressant effects of the alcohol. So when the alcohol wears off, you then get a corresponding amount of anxiety. So to put it in its simplest terms, if you are feeling anxious, whatever you drink to take the edge off that anxiety at the moment, you then get a correspondingly increased anxiety further down the line. So alcohol isn't an answer because at a very basic level, what you get now, you're paying back in a few hours' time anyway. So that's at its most simplest. But the problem is alcohol ruins your natural sleeping pattern. So when you sleep, you go through different layers of consciousness from very deeply asleep, which is your deep sleep, up through to REM sleep. Now, REM sleep is when when they do tests and put... Um, uh, sensors on people's heads when they're going through REM sleep your brain's lit up as if you're awake it's very similar to when you're awake so what you need to bear in mind when you're sleeping your brain's going through this very delicate cycle of deep sleep up almost through to full consciousness and back down again when you drink you fall asleep but you're forced into deep sleep your brain can't take you up through the different layers And then, of course, when the alcohol wears off, you're overly stimulated so you can't sleep at all. And that's why a lot of the time when people are drinking, they wake up at three or four in the morning really anxious and they can't get back to sleep. So not only when you drink alcohol to relieve your anxiety, do you then get a corresponding amount of more anxiety further down the line, it also completely ruins your sleep. So the following day, you're just not as equipped to deal with anything If you are feeling anxious and worried about things, what you really need is a good night's sleep. It might not cure everything, but you will feel an awful lot better. And alcohol actually robs you of that. So it's a double whammy to make things even worse. Um, Personally, and I know it's not, I was talking to Mandy earlier, and it's not like this in France, but if you are in the UK, you are very lucky. You are still allowed out to exercise every day, providing you keep your social distance, your two metres, you are allowed to go out once a day for exercising. That should be your anxiety relief, not alcohol. You should be going out for a brisk walk, a run, get some nature, get some fresh air inside you. That not only makes you feel better, but then, of course, you sleep better afterwards. So drinking is absolutely the worst thing you can do if you're feeling anxious, because if you have a couple of drinks, then in two hours' time, you're feeling even more anxious than you were in the first place. Your choice is then to have more drinks and then become correspondingly more anxious and then into full-blown hangover. But even if you don't do that, you're ruining your night's sleep. It isn't a pleasant time for anybody, um, but unfortunately, you just have to get on with it. But the fact of the matter is, if you're going to do something, make the most of it if you're in the UK by getting out into some fresh air and do some exercise. Brilliant. Brilliant. What would you say to somebody like Margaret who's, say, on day seven? again because I've heard from lots of people within the first week or two that their anxiety actually can sometimes worsen 
Um, is, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it will worsen. Because if you think if you're a regular drinker, your brain is constantly having to pu push the stimulant level side of things up to counteract the alcohol. And if you've been drinking every day or nearly every day for, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, those stimulants are constantly going into your system. So when you stop, it takes a while for your brain to get back to that level. So those first few days can be quite unpleasant. And what you will normally find is there's a specific cycle because for, the, for say a week or so, you'll be overstimulated, but then your brain realizes that the alcohol isn't being constantly put inside you. So it removes those stimulants. So then you go through a period of feeling very tired. But seven days is fantastic. And you're on the up at this point. You will be feeling anxious and you will still be feeling slightly odd and your brain will still be finding that proper level. But don't give up because, to be honest, this is the worst time ever to be drinking because with a hangover and with alcohol-induced anxiety, life is not good. But when life has genuine concerns, that's when it can become really unbearable. Um, so, I mean, I'm worried at the moment. I'd be five times more worried if I hadn't slept well, if I'd had alcohol-induced anxiety and a hangover and all the rest of it. it just makes it a hundred times worse. So seven days is fantastic and just keep going. It does get better and better. Brilliant. Yeah, thanks for that, William. Um, we were talking earlier, Lisa and I, with Dave about um, this current situation. And uh, again, in the UK, I'm talking now, but I, I hope I speak for other countries as well. This, for, for the UK, it's new. It's seven days. And I think that a lot of us are a little bit, even though we're isolated, even though we're locked down, there's a lot of holiday mentality going on. So you're seeing on Facebook, I'm in the garden with the kids, I'm having a picnic or I'm, I'm painting, I'm doing whatever, all this creative side coming out. I'm very concerned, as is Dave and Lisa, and we'll speak to the others. Um, this is the, the honeymoon period, if you like, and what happens next in the next week or two when things really hit home? As anyone, Dave, what about you? Have you got any advice for people going forward or do you just want to comment on that? I just think people need to be prepared because I've spoken to quite a few people now and, and I mean, let's face it, the weather's been really, really nice and it has felt like the honeymoon period. I mean... I've always complained that I've never got enough time in the day and all of a sudden I've got all the time in the day and I'm lucky that I haven't actually felt like having a drink. But at some point, you know, you're going through the homeschooling in the day, you're, there's no reward at the end of it where you're used to having a drink. And I think a lot of guys, they need to sort of prepare themselves for things getting a lot worse in the next couple of weeks where money's going to run out temper's going to be fraying indoors. You know, I've already got cabin fever. I'll go out and walk my dog once a day, but I'm just not used to this situation, you know. Um, I haven't looked at my bank account yet because I, I know that's going to make me feel down because I run my own business and I'm just not earning a penny. I haven't earned a penny for two weeks now. Um, and I just think people need to start putting things like, you know, we've got the sober toolbox and we've we got the things that we use for that. I think we need to start putting some things in, in our sober toolbox to prepare the next two or three weeks time. And um, so we're ready for it rather than it kind of biting us on the arse. And, you know, I think we need to start thinking about that now, really. Because it'd be it'd be quite easy to think that you know sod it I'm sick of this I'm fed up with this and then once the voice of 
um, I think I might have a drink tonight or I could do with a drink or I really feel once that starts to nip away at you unless you smash that out of the park then there's a there's more of a chance you're gonna pick up a drink so it's looking after that as well can we yeah. get some tips from anyone on the panel of how people might do that? Sorry, Lisa, go on. All right, I was just going to ask Dave, we, was, we were saying this earlier about how we all seem to be surrounded by memes and things on Facebook, Instagram. You know, even as much as I, I had my rant this morning about the Saturday morning breakfast show, you know, there was a lady on there with a glass of red wine saying wine's the answer and this is coming at us from every single angle. Um, so what what kind of things or what tips have you got? What is in your toolbox? What helps you? Me? Yes. I just keep busy. <laughs> I, I do know, like that thing, we were talking about that thing and, and we know the presenter of that program, I saw him a couple of weeks ago and he was really criticising non-alcoholic drinks, you know, uh, and I just think that's really out of order, but I just turn it off because otherwise I get really, really wound up and you're seeing people drinking at 11 o'clock in the morning, that's not good. Um and for me, personally, I just, I mean, I've been known to go, go to bed at six o'clock, um, cuddle up in bed with my little chihuahua, not that she sleeps with me, right? And, <laughs> and put on a really, really good film, or I've downloaded uh, audio books, or, you know, I just keep my mind occupied, because if I sit there wallowing in it, there's a chance that, this is personally for me, though, once that voice starts to chip away, then it eats away at me, you know. And I had a couple of meltdowns last year that I was, I, I didn't do it, but I was, I was 50 50. Oh, sod it. I'm just going to go to the pub. And luckily I didn't. But because all the um, routines gone out the window now, everything's changed and we're all getting up. We don't know whether it's Saturday or Tuesday, you know, every routine has gone out the window. Um, I, I think there's a lot of people that are struggling with that. You know, I've been waking up at one, two in the morning and then getting up at five and then having a kip at 11 because my, my routine's changed, you know? And, that, and, and a lot of people, they stick to structure when it comes to their sobriety. So I just think people need to be more, like, try and be organised when it comes to the next couple of weeks rather than all of a sudden it's biting definitely preparation then Simon what would you say I think I totally agree with what Dave said around preparing and planning so I mean you can be as in-depth in your planning as you want to be but having go-to tactics for like inevitably we've got heightened anxiety difficult thoughts emotions feelings are going to come up and it, it's very similar whether we're talking about quitting drinking or just coping through this crazy chaos that's going on in the world, drinking or not aside, it's creating uncomfortable feelings and discomfort. Now, I've, I've shared loads of tactics for dealing with this stuff, but if you've got, like Dave said, sober toolbox, you can use those tools to cope with what's going on now as well. Um, 
what Mandy shared was quite funny you shared about the tactic for the central nervous system, Mandy, because when I spoke at this Naked Mind Live, I was a bag of nerves the day before, and there was a lady talking called Jolene Park who specialises in this stuff, and she stood me on the stage and she had me shaking exactly like Mandy. (laughs) That's because I have specialist training with Jolene Park, that's why. (laughs) I knew where you'd got that from. So... Yeah, she she helped me and I wasn't nervous. Anyway, that's not what I'm suggesting. But having kind of go-to tactics, um, I use an app called Calm, which has a 10-minute daily calm. I listen to that in the mornings, like you guys mentioned, and that really grounds me first thing. But there's some... I'll I'll just... I won't take up all your day, guys, but there are a couple of things that I definitely do when I... The the most important thing is when you feel a sense of heightened anxiety or discomfort, the key is awareness. You want to be mindful that you feel that right now. And I try and get people to install a virtual fire alarm in their head when it comes to quitting drinking, for sure. So when they have an uncomfortable feeling, they recognize it. They hear that fire alarm going off. I get some people to use a piece of paper and just keep a little tally of every time they have an uncomfortable thought. By writing it down on a piece of paper that, yes, that's an uncomfortable thought, your mind is immediately made aware of it and you have an opportunity to stop, pause for a moment and decide what to do. Um, Someone mentioned to me recently that they they kind of visualize it like when a, a, a monk or Buddhist tings their bell at the end of a meditation session. Yeah, that's the ting sound is the uncomfortable feeling. I'm recognizing it. I'm pausing. So pause is the first thing. And then the second thing, oh, there's a bunch of these on my YouTube channel, but my, my favorite, I'll just share it with you quickly, involves an elephant, um, which I know sounds a bit weird. But if I've got a really uncomfortable thought, so... And I won't lie to you. I, you know, a few days ago, I was worrying about my mum, and I, I, I went from worrying about my mum because she keeps going to the supermarket to the next thing in my head, she's on a ventilator. I'm telling myself stories, and I'm and to be careful of telling yourself stories and, and making them up. Absolutely, what a couple of the others have mentioned. We've got the choice of what media we digest. We can scroll past. We don't have to have here in the UK Sky News, which is very sensational. The Daily Mail is another app that I've avoided opening on my phone. I might actually delete it. It's just we don't have to do that. We can easily put on. I told someone asked me this yesterday about the media and stuff, and I told her to go and put on Footloose and dance around the kitchen instead of listening to that stuff. Music is so powerful. So you don't. And she posted a picture of her doing it as well, which is really <laughs> cool. Um, the, and the tactic I was going to mention, which involves the elephant, is I if I've got some really difficult feelings or thoughts going on, I will sit with my eyes closed for. And, and I just breathe slowly, but I don't kind of force it, just slowly through my nose and then back out through my nose with my eyes shut. Just do that a few times. And then, this is the crazy bit, I, vis- I, I in my head, I visualise the room that I'm sat in, like my living room or wherever I am. And then I visualise this massive elephant walking into the room and... It ain't going to move. It's there. This elephant stinks and it's not very pleasant. If you like elephants, by the way, you can use a rhinoceros or a hippopotamus, whatever works for you. It doesn't have to be an elephant. (laughs) Then I will 
then the key to this is that you're the point is you're not going to push away these uncomfortable feelings so if it was a craving for alcohol you're going to look it right in the eye and that's what you do with your eyes shut you look the elephant in the eye because you can't push it away you can't suppress it and it is not leaving the room and you look it in the eye you give it a name i've got a few for mine but um, most of the people in the alcohol experiment call it dave for some reason i know don't <laughs> No offence. I don't know why. They all say, they call it Dave. And we just, I then will say, you can either say out loud, like, hi, Dave, how are you doing? And you're looking this elephant in the eye. And the point is that you're looking at it full on. You're facing your uncomfortable emotions instead of trying to push this massive, great big elephant out of the room. And then the key to it is either say out loud or in your head, I'm not playing today. I'm not going on a ride with you today. And I will sit with my eyes shut. And I've done this quite a few times. And I'll say it a few times until I feel the, the power of the uncomfortable emotion or feeling or thought until I feel it weaken. And then I'll visualize the elephant walk out the room. And I almost guarantee you that when you open your eyes, those feelings will have subsided or weakened significantly. And that works really well. I'll go one more very quick one. The the other thing to do, Mandy mentioned about being grounded. And another one is if you just get your fingertips, you don't have to do it now, but it's, if you want to, you can. If you get your fingers like that, and if you breathe through your nose and just sort of slowly, don't like force it, but slowly through your nose and back out through your nose and then visualize that same breath as you keep breathing in and out through your nose. Visualize it going through the ends of your fingertips in and through the ends of your fingertips out. So as you breathe in through your fingertips, out through your fingertips. And you should feel your fingers tingle or go warm as you do it more and more. And what that does, it immediately, because your fingers start tingling, which I hope some, is anyone's fingers tingling? Yes. Mine did. <laughs> so if, if you, I mean, we're just doing it very quickly now, but if you sit with your eyes closed and do it and actually focus on breathing through your fingertips and back out again, your fingers tingle or they might go warm and it immediately takes your mind away from those uncomfortable thoughts. It connects mind and body and you feel very grounded, like Mandy mentioned. And again, it weakens the power of this stuff. So, and the point I'm trying to make in all of that is if you're stuck at home, you've got cabin fever, your bank account's empty, you've got all this difficult stuff going on, you need tools, you need tactics, and you should plan in advance to go and do some of that stuff instead of having a meltdown. Yeah, thanks for that, Simon. Something just to add slightly to that, but it's the same sort of thing, is what Lisa and I do is we often say, what will alcohol actually do? to improve this situation. So we look at the situation. I've got no money in the bank. Okay, if I go and buy wine, I'm going to get less money in the bank. Or, right, I feel anxious. Well, if I go and drink wine, I'm going to feel even more anxious, like William was saying, in an hour. I think that's another thing that people can do. Yeah, I completely agree. And and another thing that's awesome, I mean, I know some of the guys here in the Zoom room have, have been alcohol-free for a while, is if you're feeling heightened anxiety and thinking, oh, do you know what, maybe I should just have a drink, get your journal out and look at day one when you wrote down, why am I doing this? What What's my why? What, why am I here? When, when I look back at mine, which I occasionally do from time to time, and I see the way I was with my son and how crappy my life was and how grumpy I was and all the rest of it I don't need much more reminding as to why I'm, I made that choice to, to have this lifestyle 
I spoke to somebody yesterday as well and what really helped them when we were talking is writing a list. So before you even think, you know, if you're thinking I want a drink right now, have like a list of 10 things that you're going to do before you have a drink. So on that list, it could be phone a friend. It could be write down all the reasons you've stopped drinking. It could be, you know, write down five positives to why you've, you know, stopping drinking. Um, go in a sober group, download an app, uh, read a book. Like have the, and go through and promise yourself you're going to do all these things before you pick up a drink. Yeah, I and the other thing is that's a, absolutely that. But I was coaching somebody last week, and the week before, I'd said to her something else about ten things, and this was more around. I was she kept getting drink from a particular store on on a particular journey, and I said to her, "Just think about it. You know, you're at home. Every time you want a drink, you've got to have the thought about drinking." Then you've got to decide you're going to have a drink. You've got to put your coat on. You've got to get in the car. You go to the shop. You choose the drink. You pick the bottle up, pay the money, come back home. And I think we broke it all down. There was like 25 steps, right, from unscrewing the lid, pouring it, sniffing it, lifting the glass, etc. And the point was every step on of that is a point where you can stop and pause and take a minute and, and make a choice. But... Often I was never aware of that. I just was like, drink, drink, drink as much as I possibly could. But it's the sort of stuff when you think about it and you hear it, you can't unlearn it. And now, and she actually, it worked. She, she did have an urge and she kind of got to the front door and she thought, oh, hang on, I'm on step three. I'm just going to stop. And she sent me a message and she didn't, she didn't go out the door. Really? So just putting it into stages like that and just saying, okay, where am I? Thought, All right, I'm on stage five. I'm, I'm not going to go any further now. I'm just going to put my car keys away. Um, I have a, another one to add. Um, well, two things really. Uh, remember that we are resilient beings. Like our bodies are amazing. And when you don't have any substances and you're not reliant upon a substance, your body and your brain creates options um so remember that like yeah you're you're at a stage now but that stage is going to change and everyone around you is going to change too you know and i know like from being in france when you know two weeks ago there was no food in the supermarket that lasted about five days there's food in the supermarket now you know like things adjust we we put things in place we're reactive beings so like this isn't the status quo it's just what's happening today and, you know, tomorrow is going to be different. And if you allow your body to and, and put faith in yourself without a substance, like you will be able to cope. Like that's what we're made to do. And the, the other thing I'd say is to try and be things. I know gratitude is like an annoying word, but like, you know, if you think about the bigger context of things and you think about you know, what's going on in Italy, what's going on in France, uh, you know, wh what you've got around you and just be, you know, just try and write like a gratitude list and be like, shit, you know, like I was really grateful I got through today sober. I'm really grateful that like I got to chat to my mum on the phone and she's well, like I'm really grateful 
that, you know, I've got food, whatever it is, you know, it could be tiny that I'm really grateful that like I can think about being grateful, whatever it is, like those things really help you to manage those dark thoughts and those spiraling thoughts because there's always a flip side, like, and they're both okay. Like the light is okay. It's not, but it's like, I feel shit. And I feel grateful and that you can hold both of them at the same time. You don't have to just pretend everything's great, but you can have that like, this is really hard. And, you know, I love my cat and I'm so <laughs> glad I got my cat. My cat's sort of behind me. So yeah, you can hold both, you know, and, and I think that's a really important thing to remember. Like you, you don't have to be one or other. You can be both. That's really that's good. Yeah. I think sometimes we try too hard to be positive and to be happy and I think something that I learned in sobriety was actually it is okay to feel a bit shit yeah and and it will pass I know that's cliche but it does pass doesn't it does it on there look well there you go <laughs> must be it true shall pass <laughs> can before we take questions, because I know that people will, well, I think people will have them. Can we just touch back on cravings then? Um, because I know, and I know people sat here are long-term sober, and right now they're experiencing what they would say are cravings. Now, William, am I right in, you're muted, by the way, William, so don't try and answer until you're on mute. Um yeah, you're there. So, um, always there. <laughs> right now, we, we know people are craving. Now, for people who are newly sober or who are going to be going sober, how long does the physical kind of um, withdrawals last in terms of the craving for the actual alcohol, the addictive substance? And what's going on with people craving who have been um, sober for much longer? So, there's there's obviously there's two elements. So the the physical withdrawal, and that's the period of um, where your brain's chemicals are still out of balance, that usually is gone within about five or six days. So that anxious feeling that an alcoholic drink really takes away is gone in about five or six days. Then you can have a few weeks after that. That's that tired period. Um, but there's a completely separate psychological thing, which is craving. Um, and that can be completely unrelated to the physical. And that's why people can stop drinking for decades and still be craving an alcoholic drink. Um, but that's a very straightforward thing. That's just wanting something. So when you start thinking about something you want, what you normally do is fantasize about it. And that's what we're doing when we're thinking about having an alcoholic drink. And that was what you were talking about, Dave, there. But you start to think, you know, actually things are really bad at the moment. And I just don't care. I just want to have a drink. And so what you do is you fantasize about it so you think about taking that ice cold beer out the fridge or you know your spirit or a glass of wine or whatever it is and sit there and drinking it and how great it makes you feel but what you need to bear in mind is it, it is fantasy that it's not the reality what draws us into drinking is the idea of drinking and not the reality of it and i think what is always very useful is to stop for a few minutes and Stop thinking about the fantasy of having that alcoholic drink and think about the reality of it. And what you invariably will get with it is you'll take the alcoholic drink, you'll have a foul taste for a few seconds, then you'll have a slightly dulled feeling, and then you'll have a correspondingly anxious feeling when the drink wears off, and then you have a decision about whether to have another drink to take the edge off that and keep drinking or just to suffer that increased anxiety. 
Um, and in fact, actually, there's other things that go into play because when you've committed to stopping drinking, when you then start again, there's a feeling of anxiety. There's a feeling of um, failure. And it's not a particularly pleasant feeling. It's a feeling of guilt and failure. So although you sit there and think, you know what, things are really bad at the moment and you think about having that lovely cold drink and everything being perfect, that's not what will happen. Because if you take a drink, all the things that are worrying you are still going to be there. That's not going to go away. Um, and to adding to it, you're going to have a feeling of failure and guilt and misery. You also then need to think about how much booze you've actually got in the house because if you run out, you're going to be in a complete state because you've got all the anxiety and nothing to take the edge off it. So you then need to factor in having to go out to buy more drink and then probably the guilt of that as well because at the moment, we're not supposed to be leaving the house for unnecessary reasons. What you don't want to be doing is ducking off to the off-license every couple of hours to get more booze. So stop and think about the reality. It's not you sitting there, the world is suddenly perfect and you're happy as Larry. The reality is you're just as miserable and worried as you were before plus you're guilty, plus you're worrying about where all the next drinks are coming from. Then you wake up in the middle of the night at three or four in the morning, miserable and depressed. You're absolutely shattered the entire next day. If you can't stop drinking now, it's going to be even worse the next day. And it's a downward spiral almost from the first, first mouthful. And that's what you need to do. Get away from the fantasy and stick with the reality. It really is that simple. Brilliant. God, if you didn't want a drink, you definitely don't now. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone in the panel want to say anything or add anything before we go to questions? No. I just want to say something. I just want to say that I am really, really grateful um, to want to be sober right now because I really do dread to think of what I'd be doing. Um, if I hadn't have made this decision nearly two years ago because I know I'd have made excuses and been, I'd have been drinking by at least three o'clock definitely because I'd have told myself that that was all right and I had nothing better to do so I am really grateful for that and I think we've got to remember and really try and focus and I know it's hard but there's loads of bad news people out there try and surround yourself on whether it be social media I know you can't do it physically but on social media with people that make you feel good that people that lift you with posts that make you feel happy and positive because there's so much about that you could cling on to if you wanted to I think it's really important to focus on all the amazing things that you've done so far and this time like we said before will pass and I just yeah and I'm grateful for all of you coming on today as well thank yeah, you thank you <laughs> so if anyone's got questions you can either raise hand and Mandy will invite you to ask um, or you can post in the chat so if we just have a minute or so now do that Simon's dad's got one. Oh. oh god Oh, I'm muted. I'm muted. I'm pretty unique among you for two reasons. One, I'm Simon's dad. <laughs> and two, I'm a drinker. And the two are not related, by the way. He hasn't driven me to it. <laughs> in listening to what you're all saying, as somebody who still feels, I have to say so much of it resonates with me. And so many of the symptoms that you're talking about, I've now realised that I am suffering. But I didn't realise that I was suffering. I just thought that was part of normal life. So, yeah, I mean, 
Simon's dad, and very proud to be so, obviously. Um, but thank you all for all the things that, that um, you've been saying, and that, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, oh. oh, that means me a bit emotional, Simon's yeah, dad. Yeah, it's lovely wow. Simon. I'm going to put him on the panel next year. I think he'll be on there. He's trying to steal my crown. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions? Come on, now's your chance, people. Look, you've got some pr proper sober legends in this audience. <laughs> I'm going to have a swipe across and say, oh, you are quiet. Everyone's tired, I think. It's you can type them in the comments if you don't want to talk out loud. Does anyone want to type a question in the chat? I'm going to ask you a question. When are we going yeah, we've to... Got, oh, we've got a question. Oh, go on. Pauline That's Siobhan asking a question down there as well. Okay. Hang on. Oh, where are you going? Pauline Hi, everybody. Yeah. Oh, hello. hi there. Hi. Hi. Uh, my name's Pauly. Great uh, beard. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I've been, uh, you know, I've been sober for a while. I'm very fortunate. It's really cool that I, I'm in Wisconsin, USA, wow. and it's it's really nice to be able to do this. This is so mind-blowing compared to when I had to first try to recover. So uh, from uh, I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict, but uh, so I really appreciate all this information and these all these tools that what you're sharing. It's really, really cool. The, the question I have, when I was first trying uh, to uh, break the cycle and and recover was all this dysfunctional behavior and and these patterns that I had learned. You know, somebody was mentioning that they'd be drinking by three o'clock already or or noon or you know. I had all these triggers. You know that certain things when I walk in the door after work, boom, pop, pop the pop the beer. So uh, and you know, in Wisconsin here, we're beer drinkers. You know, we uh, we're big for that. So. Can somebody share with me some of the tricks that they use to try to break that that mental trigger that that snaps, you know, that we're so used to having? And I thank you once again for sharing this and uh, doing this. Oh, thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. Who wants to share? Simon? <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to, yeah, yeah. to share. So for me, for me, Paulie, the trigger in my life was in the evenings. I'd developed this pattern of seven, eight o'clock at night, get my son to bed as quickly as I could, break open the wine. Nothing got in the way of it. And I and it's awful. I talk about it now, you know, how I put that in front of him. I would be snappy with him want to get him out of my way just so I, I could drink and that was like my time it was my wind down at the end of the day and nothing got in the way of it so that was that was kind of my trigger it's like wine o'clock a lot of people call it and I found that what I needed was kind of a new go-to routine so in that instance I found a ton of really cool zero alcohol drinks botanical drinks I got myself a special glass that was a big chunky glass that was only my glass. And I had some, like, this is one of my favorites, Barago. I don't know if you, I know in the US you don't get a lot of this stuff, but it's getting, it's getting more common. But like these kind of things, where it's even in like a really 
nice bottle and I have a lovely tonic and a slice of lime with it. And I'm, I like made this new routine. I like write, wrote a new story for myself of, of what I was going to do and how it was going to be. And I was big on disrupting those sort of things. So if I knew I was going to drive past a particular shop, there's one on the route where I picked my son up, this fancy wine store, I would go another way home. And I kept doing that. And I, I still, well, in fact, now I don't. I sometimes go past it. But so I kind of, I guess I got analytical around what was causing trigger points and things to become uncomfortable and then changed it up, whether that was going for a run because I, I knew at a particular time it was going to be difficult, whether it was drinking a different drink in a different glass that still felt grown up or whatever it might be. You know, in the early days, we, I had a couple of um, quite like boo, nights out planned that I knew were going to be boozy. There was going to be friends there who'd encourage me to drink. So I booked a trip to the cinema with my son and my wife. We went bowling another time. I just did something else until I felt strong enough to do that. So, and, you know, you've got the power. You've got the choice in this. So, and I know that's, I don't mean that flippantly, but you, you can create your own plan for it. You can, if you get analytical around when that stuff's happening. So if it's when you get in the house at three o'clock in the afternoon could you change your routine could you think actually when i get in the house at three o'clock the first thing i'm going to do is not head to the drinks cabinet it's i'm going to do something else i'm going to make sure there's no alcohol in the house and and kind of create your own environment that sort of takes that away from you i guess so sorry that was a bit of a long answer to a short question <laughs> It wasn't. We've got a question in the chat that somebody just said about being how to deal with loneliness in the moment. And I just kind of wanted to say something on this because in the early days, that's something that I really struggled with. You know, like now I'm surrounded by sober people, but everybody I knew stopped drinking and uh, didn't stop drinking. They were drinking. I stopped drinking. <laughs> Um, I had and I meant touched on it before but I had three teenagers that were going pretty wild at the time and they weren't even impressed that I had stopped drinking either they were quite mad at me actually because they weren't getting away with things that they previously were doing before my mum drank quite a lot at the time uh, everybody did so I felt really really on my own at the beginning so I really empathise with that lady that's just said that and for me, what really helps with the sober groups online, if you can find um, a, a Facebook group or some kind of online community where you can be yourself and just really, really, you know, if you are struggling, say that you're struggling and kind of make friends like that. Or if you've been sober a while, you might want to start your own sober community like we started Be Sober Manchester we met on Instagram and we met for coffee and thought you know what there must be other people there and just online we then set up the Be Sober Manchester so there's loads of us now there's a few on here today I've seen Julia, Susie, Siobhan's all the, <laughs> the other founders here as well Lisa, Joe. oh hi jo. I saw her in bed before you're still in bed Joe. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, for me, that's been an absolute lifesaver. And it can be so frightening meeting new people sober when you're used to drinking. But I promise you, it is really, really worth it. If you just put something out there on Instagram or Facebook, somebody local and meet somebody, if that helps. I've done a long answer now. <laughs> can I step in there as well? Yeah. yeah, sure. When I first became sober, there was an event held in Dalston. And um, I mean, I'm a, a guy with tattoos and whatever, and a burly bloke. And, and when I got to the door, I was absolutely panicking. And, and I thought, do I go in? Don't I go in? And I went in, and, and that was, I was sober for about six weeks. And I met, well, that's where I met William. Janie Lee Grace, I, I met Claire Pooley, I met um, the Rock Sober Boys. And because I actually went in the door, that started off my whole sober social life. And from yeah. there, I've, I've had three events myself I've organised. And there's been people there that have, I had one at Christmas at the Redemption Barn, and people have come in on their own. And from there, they've got to know a whole group of people as well that it just expands. And when, when you meet sober people, they're just the most genuine, loveliest people because they're, they're so humble. And a lot of us have been to their rock bottom and come out again. And, and as Mandy says, you feel so grateful about your life now and what you've achieved and you, you earn back your self-respect and you begin to love yourself in a way, you know, and, and I've done so many things myself on a personal level since I've become sober that there's no way I'd have done if I was drinking. You know, I've, I've done a lot of courses and I've trained for different things and, you know, I, I'm so, I, I'm glad to say I'm proud of myself because I am and there's nothing wrong with that, you know. So for anyone that would feel nervous about joining Sober events, it's so brilliant. You can meet so many lovely people. I think it's okay as well to learn to sit with yourself. You know, we think we've got to do these things, but your social life is going to really, it's going to completely change from what it was before. And I think learning to be okay with yourself and sometimes you need them long days and then long nights or weekends to kind of figure out the kind of stuff that you want to do you know like I bought art sets at the beginning I, I weren't very good and I realized that weren't what I wanted to do but I think you need that time don't you sometimes mm. yeah I think um I mean what might be good is to compile a list of like you know places that we like obviously Julia just put Soberistas which is where Julia and I met um you know Soberistas is amazing because it's anonymous so it, you can really talk about whatever you want without that kind of fear which sometimes within Facebook groups you feel a bit more kind of um, anxious. I'm a She Recovers coach so She Recovers is the biggest uh, international women's movement um, for women in recovery from all things so not just alcohol but from eating disorders, from um, I don't know divorce, from uh, burnout, from depression, from you know all the challenges that we have in life. They have now two meetings a day which uh, are open to everybody. Um, there's obviously if you are if you go to a 12 step a lot of 12 step meetings have been put online um, in the rooms is a really good one that has like meetings all the time like this that you can just hang out in um, and the beauty I mean I, I never went to AA it wasn't my journey but um, because I've been kind of facilitating some meetings I've learned a little bit how that space works in a sense of of being a sharing space. So it's literally, you just get to say your shit 
and that's it, you know, and everyone gets this. And, you know, there's something really great about that right now, mm-hmm. that kind of like no shame, no blame. Like, I, you know, everything's really hard and my life is really difficult and being able just to offload that in a safe yeah. space um, and you feel less alone, you know, and I did one the other day for She Recovers and there were people like we are now, like from all across the world. And it was, you know, people in Italy, people in San Francisco, and we all had this common problem, which had been, you know, we'd struggled with something that had been a maladaptive behavior. And also we had this virus and, you know, and none of us left feeling lonely. We left feeling connected. And so, um, yeah, I think if that'd be good if we get a big list together and then people and just keep trying because you might go in a group and be like, no, that's not for me, and that's absolutely fine. Yeah. I've been lots of lots of groups, and I'm like, no, that there's something that doesn't gel. But you will yeah. like, find your people. So we've got Jessica with a question. Um, Hi, Jessica. Okay. Hey. Um, I have. I'm still really early days. Today is day 91, so I wanted to see if anyone had any specific um, uh, ideas for kind of not backsliding. Good question. Who wants to go? I'm I'm, uh, probably the newest sober out of all of us here, actually, Um, and on, on the panel anyway, and. I would say, for me, it's playing it forwards. That's what I do every time. So I, even the other day, and and I'm almost a year, and the other day I was out in the kitchen and I was cooking a meal and I took a big gulp of my glass of water and I suddenly thought, oh, that would have been wine. And it wasn't a craving. It was more of a memory. Um, But it it was really important to me and I have it as quite a marked event. So I thought, right, if that had been wine, what would now happen? Okay, I've been mindlessly cooking. I would definitely have another one. I would finish the bottle. I would have um, want a second bottle. I'd find an excuse to go into the kitchen to sneak the bit in that I drank that I didn't want my husband to see that I'd had. I would um, wake up in the morning feeling irritable. I would wake up with a dry mouth and I would play the whole thing forward. So that is enough for me because hangovers, I, I mean, there's only one person here I think ever seen me with a hangover, but I honestly feel critically ill with a hangover. I walk around hunched. I feel sick. In fact, I am sick. I'm on all fours. That's just enough. I can play it forward and realise that actually it's not going to be a sip for me. It's not going to be wandering. It's going to be, I'm going to finish that bottle. I'm going to get the hangover. I'm going to be an absolute mess tomorrow. So that's my tip for that one. Anyone else? Yeah, I just on that same sort of theme as well, Jessica, I'd, I'd be interested to know, like, in terms, well, there's a couple of things. I, when I was at that stage, I had a fear of failure because I thought, wow, I've come this far. By the way, 91 days is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like, we should be clapping yeah. that because that's a hundred days nearly, like, so, which is just awesome. But I had a fear of, am I going to fail? I knew I'd quit, but I kind of thought, am I going to let myself down? Am I going to sort of throw this all away? And I found great power in letting go and accepting the new version of myself and just accepting that this is me now and stopping worrying about that and just forgetting it and not thinking, am I going to mess up? Am I going to slip up? If you can do 91 days, you can do 910 days or whatever it may be. So what I'm trying to say is trust yourself 
because you've done it already. Yeah. And I don't know if you've heard my phrase, think like a vegan, um, which, which you might or might not. And it's another one of my nutty things. But the point about that is I see sobriety as a lifestyle choice. We have not got anything wrong with us. The, the, the thing that's wrong is the alcohol, not us. And when you think of somebody who's vegan, they are so passionate about what they do. It's a lifestyle. They're proud of themselves. They wear the badge with pride. They're not sat in the corner. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> they're, not sat in the, they're not sat in the corner crying because they can't have meat, they can't have dairy. They own it. They love it. So I'm a liquid vegan because that's how I feel about being sober. It's a lifestyle. I've got t-shirts with sober on. I, I wear my badge with pride and I, I've, I'm even getting some liquid vegan bracelets made. So the, <laughs> and the point I'm trying to make about that as well is not only trust yourself, be proud of yourself, yeah. and be passionate about what you're doing and you'll smash it. And you already have smashed it, by the way. Yeah. So that's, that's my liquid vegan rant over. <laughs> we've got two in the chat as well quick ones yeah, I would just I would just say as well like um, because oh, within my story I went back and forwards a fair few times and something that I it took me a long time to understand like what happened after a year like what happened you know because I absolutely loved it I was on Soberistas I had loads of friends you know I was in that sober bubble and I was like and then literally sort of two days after my one year anniversary, a friend of mine said, yeah, I think I can kind of like drink every now and again. And I went, yeah, fucking hell. So can I. And I started drinking again and it was literally that quick and it was scared. And, and I didn't understand why. And what I understand is through listening to Gretchen Rubin, who uh, does a lot of stuff about happy, about habits and things like that. She said that it's this idea of when you've got a goal in mind rather than like seeing it as a milestone and seeing it as something you check off, you know? And I had that somewhere unconsciously. It was like, if I, if I do a year, I don't have a problem. And yeah. that was somewhere internally in me. If I can do a year, I don't have a problem with alcohol. So even though I was loving it, there was that moment where it was like, right, I've done my year. I don't have a problem. And so what I always say is just keep throwing that, like, just keep throwing it, whatever's comfortable, just keep throwing it a bit further. It's like, okay, I've done, you know, a hundred days. What does 110 feel like? Like not something scary, like a thousand, but like, what does 110 or 120 feel like? Okay. I'm going to get there and see what that's like. And I still do that now. It's like, I'm on 950 four or whatever and it's like okay what's a thousand feel like like I want I want to get to a thousand and then I'm going to think about what a thousand one hundred and one or whatever you know like I like new, sort of numerology and different yeah. so it's just just keep throwing it a bit further in that kind of inquiry of like like I feel good now but I want to I want to see how I feel that little bit further do you know what I mean also yeah. did you say I've only done 91 days only yeah, she did yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You should say, I've done 91 days. Woo! 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 You know what I mean? Because that's amazing. Be proud of yourself. You know, not I've only pie, Dave. Change, change the vocabulary around it. You've done fantastically. So well done. I actually, when I got to around, I, I can't remember where it was, a couple of months in, and I thought, probably about where you are, Jessica. And I, I felt like, no, I'm not going back. I've totally moved on from this. I... 
I felt that my relationship with red wine was like a love affair that turned sour. And you know, red wine used to get me through the good times, the bad times, you know, all the rest of it. It was always there for me. It was like my comfort blanket. And then it turned on me and it all turned sour and it all turned toxic. And I felt like I was ending a toxic relationship. So when I felt like I was in a place where I knew I was never going back and, and this was this was the new me and I would not drink again. I actually wrote a break, wrote a breakup letter to, to red wine. Dear Mrs. Shiraz, we're over. And I put it on my blog and it was so empowering. And it I only, I mean, I, I was just talking about this on a live in the alcohol experiment, but I would only do it if you feel like, yeah, I'm confident this thing's through almost like a divorce. Uh, but that is, it's really empowering when you do that and write that letter and it's like closure, this thing's over, I'm walking away. So maybe Jessica, when you get to a point where you feel ready to do that, do it. But I'm not good telling point. you what to do, just whatever feels good for you. It's another, it's another good point. Um, and that, Mandy, what you just said about um, stop start is one of the questions that's in the chat as well. Um, they want to know if we all did stop starts before we finally got it right. I'm going to answer yes. I stop started for a while, Mandy. Yeah. Yeah. Lisa? I didn't. I tried moderating. That didn't work, but I've never stopped started. I just stopped. William? My, um, oh, sorry, mine was like Simon. Fear, fear of failure was... Um, yeah, I didn't want to go back to that day one. Mm. William? Yeah, I stopped started a few times. Yeah, although it was it was always a bit strange for me because I kind of, I would stop, but have in mind that I wasn't going to stop forever. I, that was the big thing for me. It was finally accepting that I was going to stop forever and I was never going to have a drink again. For me, I, you know, I'd be horribly drunk and I'd say, this, is, this can't go on, I'll stop for a month. And I'd stop for a month or something. So I, I suppose I didn't stop start as in tell myself this is it forever there was only one time that i actually got to that stage and that pretty much was it for me then what about you dave no i've never um stopped started let me just tell you what i think about alcohol though it looked <laughs> in it it made me love it and it betrayed me it absolutely betrayed me because it lied to me and now i just absolutely hate it i give it zero respect and that's my way of dealing with it because I won't open that door. As soon as I hear the voice, it can go away, you know. And I know we all deal with it differently and we all got our own ways, but I I will never let that thing back into my life. And that's how I live every day by that and I'm sticking by it. I think, so, that, yeah. I think that's, you know, when you get to that point where it's like, you couldn't pay me. Yeah. And you couldn't pay me to drink. Like I live in France. We have a wine cellar in our house. My, my husband is a connoisseur of wine. You know, we have beautiful vintage bottles. I could not care less. Like it has no, it doesn't even exist to me. I don't see it. And that's no. because I made the choice that for me, nothing to do with anyone else. It did me more damage than it did good. And now like when you get a, a bit of distance from it, it's like, I, I can't remember the taste. I don't know what it's like. And I have no interest in knowing. And that's how it will stay. And that's so you, yeah. you've also divorced it. Both of you yeah. right, has divorced yeah. me here as. A bit of divorce, <laughs> but a bit of sweet. <laughs> yeah. It was um, a question in there, Alex, that somebody yeah. just asked about what our 
favourite non-alcoholic drinks was. But underneath, I can see that she said that she had a non-alcoholic gin last night and then got a craving afterwards. So I just wanted to say that if non-alcoholic drinks are acting as a trigger, then I definitely, definitely wouldn't recommend drinking them. Yeah, I don't it's like any wines. I like a beer, um, but other than that, I drink tea and I drink like sparkling water and juice. Like ridiculously, for years, I didn't drink juice because it's you know got sugar in or whatever. But I'd like to yeah, out like a bottle of wine without any problems. <laughs> <laughs> like the other day, you know, just a pint of you know apple juice and sparkling water is so refreshing and so nice. Or orange juice and lemonade or whatever. Um, that's probably my go-to and an alcoholic beer because I didn't used to drink beer so I was a red wine drinker so non-alcoholic and me and the thing is about that I mean I don't like any of the non-alcoholic red wines at all no Uh, disgusting disgusting yeah I have um, Heineken Zero occasionally and other than that juices and it brings me to the last bit there on the questions Um, somebody's asked about non-alcoholic bars in Manchester I'm going to ask my lovely friend Siobhan to come on actually if she's brave enough because she's our go in Be Sober Manchester as in she's the party girl she still parties she's sober um, she might know a few bars that are non-alcoholic Siobhan would you mind? <laughs> yeah. Unmute yourself That's right I've done it Come on Hi. have a speak um, First of all can I say thank you so much for doing this guys because I haven't like, I'm always so buzzing about being sober but I felt like really not like I wanted a drink but really like meh about it like oh I'm sober that's just me now and um I just wanted to say thank you for this because I haven't been seeing anyone that's sober so this is like made me feel buzzing again so thank you oh good um sober bars in Manchester so we've be so well I did an event for my first um soberversary because I'm just extra AF um <laughs> and we had a birthday party for it and it was at a bar called Speak in Code and we've been there with Be Sober Manchester um and they um the guy who runs it is sober um so it's a cocktail bar he specializes in cocktails but if you go there and ask for mocktails and stuff they're absolutely amazing like he's so creative and it's something that you wouldn't get in any other bar um more of like a mainstream bar is be at one um they have bars like all over the uk and they have a really nice um mocktail menu they use stuff like seed lip as well like if you want that sort of taste um there's a couple of venues that do alcohol-free beer. So we went to um, the Ultimate Power, which was at the Ritz. Um, they do Zero San Miguel, which is the same price as normal beer, which is really annoying. But <laughs> it's nice to have um, a sort of drink like and feel part of something. Um, I can't, what other ones can you think of? Dishume. Dishume. Oh. Dishoom, obviously none of these are open right now. But no. <laughs> Dishoom is um is really nice and mocktails. It's the brew dog as well, isn't there? Brew dog that will serve its non-alcoholic range. Yes, yeah, brew dog is amazing. And I think they have them in quite a few places in the UK. Um and in dry January they did bottomless alcohol-free beer. Obviously, you're not gonna sit there and drink like eight of them. <laughs> <laughs> like after one or two, you you're pretty okay. But they they're really like all for alcohol-free drinks, which is is really nice. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Shabam. 
Anything else, guys, before we wrap up? No? I've lost everybody. Thank you to our lovely panel. You have been amazing. I'm honestly we're so grateful that you gave up your time to do this. Such a shame that we've not been able to do it in person and cheers each other. But let's just say not cancelled, postponed, and hope we can get together soon, guys. Um, thank you everybody for coming to watch us. Um, underneath the videos, we're gonna post these in each of our social media groups and page um won't go out on the, in public as such. It's just going to go within our groups. But we'll put the links to each of us on there so you can find us on social media as well. Is everyone okay with that? Yeah. 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 Lisa, do you want to add anything before we go? Is she there? Still in Boston. I'm here somewhere. Oh, I can't see you, but go on, have a speak. Do you want to say anything? No, just thank you to everybody. It's been amazing, especially to have people from all over the world join us. It's really exciting. So <coughs> thank you, everybody. Holy, can I ask you, tell you something, mate? I've decided not to trim my beard throughout the whole <laughs> So, so I hope it doesn't get to the length of yours. It's magnificent, but I hope it's over before that. Two <laughs> months worth there, mate. You look fantastic. It looks brilliant, doesn't it? I've decided yeah. not to trim mine as well, Dave. My hair's going to be all kinds of wacky at the end of this. It'll be like a you know dip dye blonde with grey grommet. Oh, natural. Yeah. Dave, I think you'd look really good with a nice long beard, but I, I agree with you. I hope it doesn't last that long. And I hope you guys <laughs> stay safe and healthy and we will get through this. I know that. So uh Yeah, good man. Yeah, bye, bye. Good day. Brilliant to have you here. Yeah, thanks everybody. Thank, Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. 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 See you later, everyone. Thank you.